Some big debuts this week from the world of Independent League Baseball, and we're going to recap that here along with all the action in Independent League Baseball here on the Indie Ball Report Podcast. We are back again this week for the 76th time, the 76th episode. This is the Indie Ball Report podcast. And again, there is no James this week, but there is Will. There is me, Nick. And uh, we're going to bring you all the news and all the action from the world of independent league baseball. And it's, it's been an exciting week in the American Association. It's been an exciting week for uh, veterans of independent league baseball that are final, or in some cases, newcomers, I suppose, as well. But long and short, it's a lot of guys that are graduates from independent league baseball. They are now in the majors. We're going to cover that. And then there's some other news. And I guess you could call one of the things a controversy, although there's really not much controversial about it. Yeah, not, not, not much controversy about that part, but you're right, Nick. Uh, an exciting week in the American Association, and like you said, a, a really exciting week for, for indie ball in general. And I, I have to say, I think 2020 is the only year where a guy can go from indie ball to the big leagues in like three weeks. It's awesome, awesome for the guys that got picked up that we'll definitely get into later. Uh, the MLB debut counts, counts no less, and it's definitely uh, an exciting time for, for indie ball. Absolutely. I mean, it also just shows you what indie ball is here for and that it really is of an equal level to the affiliate leagues, to other really minor leagues of baseball. That's not this weird sideshow circus league, even in yeah. years where, you know, maybe it isn't the the usual standard you have to adapt to, obviously, the pandemic and all that comes along with it. But, uh, you yeah, know, it's going to be something interesting to talk about in towards the end of the show but again we will start as we always do which is talking about the really the only of the major three leagues now that are playing and that is the american association and as usual we'll try and uh keep it only a few teams but everyone pretty much had something to do this week really for me the three headlines i saw coming out of the association this week was the milkmen definitely kept rising they're now finally starting to really challenge for that first overall uh, position in the league. The Dogs and the uh, Gold Eyes, they're not doing as well as they were doing. I'm f- I think for the first time since really the second week of the season, I'm starting to have a little bit of doubt about Winnipeg. But uh, they're going to be something to talk about in just a bit. But for right now, I do want to start on Chicago. They are about 18-22, and 22, not great in their last 10 and they are, at least at the time that I wrote down my notes, which was yesterday afternoon, they were about five games out of first place, four and a half out of that last playoff position. And their mm-hmm. offense appears to have, well, gone bad, it seems like. You're right, Nick. And, and they actually, I, I know you said you worked on uh, a lot of your notes yesterday. They did lose again yesterday. So they are now 18 and 23 and six games out of first place, which it, it really, in this case, there, there are hopes for trying to make this championship series, especially with the only only the top two spots in the American Association this year really mattering at all. They they have to go on a run, and they have to go on a run now. And it, it was definitely a tough week. It was definitely a, a tough week for their offense specifically. I mean, you have a newcomer newcomer catcher Logan Moore who uh, played in the Atlantic League last year with the New Britain Bees. 
he had a real nice week. Uh, Edwin Arroyo had a real nice week, and Joe Tardosovic led the league with four home runs this week, and he's putting together a really, really terrific season, as he seemingly always does in indie ball, so that shouldn't really be a surprise to anyone. But if you look at just batting average specifically, fourth place in batting average this week, Michael Krause at 174. When your fourth, when your fourth best hitter this week is, uh, was two for 23 at the plate, or excuse me, not two for 23, four for 23 at the plate, that means you didn't have a very good week. And, and a team like Chicago doesn't really have the pitching to, uh, offset such a bad offensive week. And I think that's what you, what you really saw what happened this week, uh, sp- specifically in their matchup, uh, against St. Paul, where they, they got, they got shut down by St. Paul, the St. Paul Saints pitching staff, but specifically, I think we could say he's pretty much the ace of their staff at this point, Mike Devine, who threw eight shutout innings, only giving up two hits and striking out 10 and an eight nothing thrashing of Chicago, uh, last night. So we're recording on Friday. So I am referencing Thursday night, the 20th. I, I, th- I think it's really a matter of this team needs their offense. They need their home run hitters or else they're, they're not really going to have much success. And Joe, only, when only three guys ha- have good weeks offensively and the rest are pretty abysmal, it's, it's, it's going to be tough for them to win. And that's definitely what we saw this week. Exactly. We've talked in the past about how Chicago's kind of the inverse of Milwaukee, where they rely very heavily on their bats. And if they fail, then they're in a really tough spot. And that was shown last night, like you said. I mean, you can't get shut out if you're a team that relies that heavily on your bats, especially when you're 3-7 and seven coming into that game on your last 10. You were mentioning about the batting average. It was only two guys that I saw that were above the, the 250 mark for batting average. And it was, like you said, Logan Moore, who's been very good since coming on. And I was very high on him going into the Atlantic League season. And I was thinking, oh, well, this is going to be some of the stability they need behind the plate because that was one of the areas where it seemed like it was kind of a rotating door last year for High Point. And clearly, Logan Moore, despite not really playing much to this point in 2020, picked up where he seemingly left off at and just really got hot and has done well. I mean, you mentioned his stats and he's done well. Tadoslavich, like you said, he's leading the league in home runs, but he's batting, what, 227? So, I mean, a home run or an out seems to be the best way to describe him. And you can't get swept by Fargo-Moorhead. I think that's really one of the major takeaways for me from them. If you get swept by the worst team in the league, that's seemingly now kind of out of the race here. And it's not even one of those cases like, oh, well, it was that sweep that kind of jump-started them. They haven't done well since getting swept. So I can't really say, oh, well, you know, they got hot and that's just the case. No, it was just three games that you should have won that you didn't win. And now you're kind of behind the eight ball a bit. Now it will grant them a bit of a break against St. Paul. They've been doing well. Plus the, one of their losses was a walk off in extra innings. So yep. I give them a break on that. But even still, when you're in the position they're in, you can't afford to go one and two in a series. You need to walk away at two and one at the very least. And especially coming off a sweep, it does make their position a lot harder. I will say though, their starting pitching did seem okay to me this past week. I didn't see too many problems with it. Uh, Busfield went four and two thirds. He didn't give up any runs. He got no decision, obviously, but even still, uh, Dormady, he gave up two earned runs to only two runs in total. He went six and two thirds. He got a win. Uh, Luke Westfall, he went 
went six innings again, same thing as Stormity. He gets, he allows two earned runs, only two runs. He gets tagged with a loss. Uh, Eddie Butler, he had two starts. He gave up six runs between the two starts. He gets no decision and a loss. All in all, I just don't see all that much there where it seems like on average you're giving up about two and a half runs or so per start there. Your offense should be able to kind of come in and help out. Now the bullpen yeah. is an issue. That was exactly what I was about to get into. I think when you when you look as far as their pitching, you're right. When you look at the numbers, the starting pitching's done their job this week uh, with Dormany Butler uh, and Luke Westfall as well. However, the guys in the bullpen, specifically, you look at you look at guys like Scott Schumann and Casey Crosby. They need they need a lot better from those guys. Um, specifically, Schumann, who uh, who really started off well when he came uh, when when he was signed with Chicago, but he re- he really did have a rough week, giving up four earned runs in two and two thirds innings. And specifically with Casey Crosby, Casey Crosby had an awesome year last year with both the Chicago Dogs and late in the season when he moved over to the Lancaster Barnstormers of the Atlantic League, he really just hasn't been the same this year at all out of that bullpen. I mean, you, you just look at the difference from last year. Just talking about his American Association number specifically, he had a 1.99 ERA with the Dogs last year in four in 40 innings. And this year, it's completely reversed. He's had a he has a 7.71 ERA in just 18 in just 18 innings. And I I think it's there's not many stats to look at outside of the walks. He's walked more guys than he struck out. 27 walks compared to 26 strikeouts. And if you look at his numbers last year, in 40 innings last year, he walked 30 guys. In only 18 innings this year, he's almost walked the same amount with 27. And I think that the dogs, when their offense starts scuffling, even if their starting pitching can keep them in the game a little bit, they need their bullpen to help pick them up, which looks like a, partic- a pretty strong group. I think I, I think you would agree, at least uh, in the beginning in the beginning of the season. And it, it really fell off this week, and it, it's a tough pill for them to swallow. And I know you say you think they're pretty much out of it. I I'd, I'd put it a little nicer. I think they're on life support. I think they have, again, I think on paper, I think the dogs are are, are pretty good. Uh, they obviously really haven't shown it this year at all, but. I'd say it's on life support, and they need to have a big week. There's there's no mistake around it, and you, you can't get swept by Fargo-Moorhead. Uh, obviously, Winnipeg's at the top in, in, in large part due to their performance against Fargo-Moorhead, uh, which has proved to be so important in this shortened season, specifically with a 16 league. And it, it was a rough week for the Dogs. They, they, they need to have, they need to have a 5-2 and two week next week if, if to, to stay alive. I think that I think that's for certain. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say they're out of it, but they are on the verge of, I mean, just because when you look at who's above them, there's a couple of game stops between them and the team that's right below them in a Sioux Falls and a St. Paul that are both really contending hard to try and catch up to a Milwaukee. Now, all four teams that are above them, they're, they're rolling on all cylinders here. I mean, to be fair, Sioux Falls almost lost to Fargo last night, but then the eighth inning kind of happened and Fargo kind of blew it. But regardless, I do think they're kind of on the verge at this point. Yeah, they're going to need a big week. They do have six games, though, that could definitely push them right back into the thick of things. They have three against St. Paul. They have three against Milwaukee. Those are six big games where if you could come away with four and two out of that, you know, you win both series, 
you're right back in the thick of things. Or even better yet, if you could just take all three against St. Paul, that would really help your cause an awful lot. Yeah, but it'll be yeah. interesting to see. And obviously the, the series that's going to be one to watch because we've talked about it before, how the two teams have kind of felt them out and or felt each other out and kind of know what to expect from each other is the Milwaukee one. And with that, I'm going to use this as a segue to talk about Milwaukee, who's had a terrific week, really. I mean, they're 6-4, and four, uh, at least... When I wrote everything down, it was 23-18. and 18. I believe it's 23-19 and 19 after they lost to Winnipeg last night. So I believe that puts them a game and a half out of first, but still yep. in the playoff hunt, or still in the playoffs, period, or championship series, whichever you prefer. And really, it's just been more of the same. They're just staying the course. When I was writing everything down, every pitcher that had three or more innings pitched had an ERA under three or at three. So clearly they know what their strength is and they're keeping to that. And Trugal yeah. and Gray, they're still doing their thing. Aaron's been doing his thing still, doing very well. Seven and two thirds, one earned run, uh, one walk, four Ks in the one game he had. I believe he came in for Hartman the one day after Hartman had a not so great start. But regardless, he's done well. Holmberg's continued to do well. They've added Dillard, who's done well in his first start. I believe he allowed two earned runs, three runs in total, but regardless, still a, f- a fine job by him. Hutchinson hasn't been as great as expected, but he's still just working his way into the staff. Uh, regardless, they're just they're doing everything they can, and they've been getting the bats to kind of supplement themselves. Uh, Correa, Washington, and Tice were the three I picked out as really driving everything. Correa, he is leading the team in batting average and then home runs over the past week. Uh, 286 there and two home runs. Uh, Washington also contributing uh, on bases, 370, so not bad. And then Dylan Tice has been doing surprisingly well. While he's not really getting that many hits, he's only batting 222 and slugging 222. He is getting on base. He's got an on base just under 400. So he's doing his job and getting on. Now, I would like to see more than just, just three guys getting on base and three guys, you know, scoring runs. But even still, if the pitching keeps up to the point where you can survive with that, then no sense in changing a system that's working. Right. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it all comes down to their pitching. Oh, by the way, um, I, I think we have to, I have to do an, an obligatory Peyton Gray, uh, scoreless inning streak check. He's now at 21 for the season without giving up, uh, without giving up any runs, which just gets more ridiculous by the week. But I think again, the starting pitching has been great. Like you highlighted, Nick. And again, the back end of that bullpen with Peyton Gray, AJ Shugel and Miles Smith. No, 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 no earned runs between them in the, in the five innings, uh, that they've pitched this week. And so again, as long as they, I think you said it perfectly when you said as long as they're pitching, Keep, keeps up um keeps up the performance that they have it's really tough to beat this team i mean they added drew hutchinson um f- former big leaguer i believe i want to say he was with toronto yeah he was with uh, toronto i think or like right. around i think it was around 2014 15 he was there right yeah because I, I remember him uh because because i'm a red sox fan if uh if any of if, if any of you don't know <clears throat> me but um I remember, I remember him pitching with the Blue Jays. I think back in those years, back when the Blue Jays were really good and making like the American League Championship Series, uh, I believe a couple of years, a couple of years out of out of three years or whatever, he, he was he was always a solid member of that rotation. Definitely, his record probably is a little inflated, benefiting from the great offense Toronto had. 
But regardless, it shows you, uh, and not to mention they added um, t- t- Dillard this week as well, another former big leaguer. I mean, they just keep rolling him in there. It- it's it's really a terrific pitching staff there. You'd like to see more offensive production. I think Correa, Correa and Walker definitely had good good weeks for them, but I, I think you definitely need more offensive production uh, out of guys out of guys like Washington and Hill who didn't have who didn't have the best weeks. And not to mention, I mean, you look this week. As a team, they hit 183, and they still had a good and they still had a good week. I think that just shows you how how awesome that pitching staff is. And, and I think as long as they can pitch, it's been the same story with them all season. As long as they can pitch to an elite level, I think that's the only way you can describe it. That this is going to be a tough team to beat. Exactly. I mean, we saw that this week when they played Winnipeg, and I mean they still do have three more games against Winnipeg upcoming. I believe they play them three straight starting tonight in uh, Milwaukee and then they have three against Chicago like we mentioned just a moment ago but it's not like they were doing this against a poor team it's not like they were doing this against uh, a team like Fargo Moorhead or even Sioux Falls they're doing this against arguably the best hitting team in the American Association I mean even when they're not winning games they still do look productive on offense and they're they're stealing games from the team they need to steal games from now I'm sure they would have liked to complete the sweep and then take over first this week, but two out of three is not bad. And I mean, you have another three where you do two out of three again. Hey, you just took over first. So, I mean, they're, they're definitely pushing now. And I'm starting to, and I think with that, I'll go to Winnipeg in that I'm starting to get uh, a little concerned with Winnipeg. You have a hot team that's right behind you. That's now proven that they can beat you and do so effectively. You're only a game and a half up on them with another series coming up. And the weird thing about Winnipeg is I look at them and I look at their stats and it's not like they've been bad. It's just that they've been kind of outplayed. I, I, I see what you're saying there. I mean, I, the pitching hasn't, hasn't been the best, uh, hasn't really been the best with this week for them. Although they have, they have had uh, pretty good starts from Mitchell Lamson and Brandon Compton as well as Kevin Hilton. But you're right. Like when you, you look up and down, uh, I mean, the offensive numbers look pretty good for them, specifically uh, with, with Darville at, at the top of that. Wes Darville, who's, um, who, who had a great week, hitting 393, with slugging 786 with three home runs in his 28 at bats this week. I mean, Dario Pisano continues to hit. I, I'm not honestly that worried about Winnipeg. Even if Milwaukee were to take over first place from them, obviously. It's not like there's really any difference between first and second, specifically with Winnipeg, in the sense that, correct me if I'm wrong, but if if Winnipeg and Milwaukee were to play in the championship series, Winnipeg would probably just that whole series would probably just take in Milwaukee, take place in Milwaukee. Now, I would imagine they would do that. There was discussion about that, so I imagine that would already happen. I mean, they've already screwed with Winnipeg's schedule by just kind of changing a lot of their home games to road games now so yeah i mean I, i'd imagine that would happen and that, for me mainly the concern with winnipeg doesn't come from oh are they going to miss out because at this point they're they're not going to miss out of the postseason unless they really do yeah. implode and my concern is when you get there are you going to win or not that's what i mean by oh, i'm starting to get, have some doubt that before i had no doubt that winnipeg was going to win the league now i have some serious doubt that they're going to win that league yeah, I, I I see what you're saying. I, I think it's. Uh, I'll tell you what. Then I guess this um the the last three games of this set against Milwaukee is gonna be is gonna be big for them this week. Ob- obviously, Winnipeg has had an advantage 
schedule-wise, getting to play uh, Fargo-Moorhead the most times out of the league and definitely take, definitely taking advantage of it. But I thought, well, I mean, I'm not so sure anymore just because of how uh, the pitchers that Milwaukee's added. I think that might have put them win- over Winnipeg talent-wise, but I think it's really close. I still think Winnipeg's really good. And we'll we'll have to we'll have to see how the last three games of their series shake out this week. And I think it uh, I think it could be really telling. Oh, absolutely! And one thing that's really fun when I was looking at the schedule here, because in a in a couple of minutes I'm going to just kind of go through uh, the matchup of the week for me. Our last uh, series of the year, I believe, is between now uh, Winnipeg and uh, Milwaukee, if I remember correctly. Or they play very much towards the end of the season. And if that's the case, then you could see a preview of your championship match there. And there's a small part of me that almost wants that series to be almost like a play-in series, you know, to kind of give us a makeshift uh, second round or first round and then have a championship round. There's a little part of me that wants that. Obviously, that would be an extremely fun series. But I think think another part of me also kind of wants to just see them meet for the championship, you know. I I think it's... Obviously, I think either way they're going to be they're they're going to be playing for something big, and I I mean it could end up being a playing series if if either um, if maybe Milwaukee falters and maybe Milwaukee needs maybe needs to win two of three against Winnipeg to to get in or vice versa maybe so it could end up being a a really big series. I think at the end of the regular season, if things stick the way they are now. It, it all it almost might turn into a whole thing since there's not really a different a huge difference between one and two if they do what we think they're going to do in the sense that all all the games in the championship series will be in Milwaukee considering it doesn't really make sense to play games in in, in Fargo Moorhead with Winnipeg as the home team it could it could be, it could turn into a uh, I, I don't want to I don't want to play my card too much type of series. Although I guess when you in a sixty game in a sixteen league, I guess you play them so much that they're yeah. kind of pointless to begin with. I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of torn, but uh, it, it could turn into that. Uh, oh, I don't I don't really want to show I don't really want to show all my cards. If you kind of know what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you mean. I was thinking the same thing, and then my immediate thought was, well, I mean, you already seen them so much. I mean, you played them how many dozen times already in a sixty game slate. I mean, it's it's such a tight league, and I could see maybe. What I could see more is instead of starting the guys that, you know, you want to start in your first two or three games, you start some other guys. Maybe you do, maybe you just throw some random guy out there to do the, uh, to do the start and whatnot. Or you just throw some poor bastard that's a position pitcher in the pitch towards the later innings to save your yeah. actual arms. And it's some, something like that I can definitely see. But I mean, at this point, I think everyone kind of knows everybody. I think you know what to expect from every other team. So uh, possibly, but who, who really knows there? But yeah. Uh, anyway, for Milwaukee after, <clears throat> not Milwaukee after for Winnipeg, uh, after they finish three games at Milwaukee, they go too far, go more ahead for three. Although is there really a difference at this point if they're at home or on the road come Fargo no. Moorhead so no. I'm just I'm gonna be curious to see what they do this week because I know the last time around when they played Fargo Moorhead they did score the wins which really is what matters but they didn't look that impressive in the win so I'll be curious to see if say Milwaukee takes two out of three again from them and then you say say they only take one or two from uh, Fargo Moorhead I think they yeah, start that, to make that- things interesting 
we we could be having a very different conversation next week. I'll I'll put it like that. If that scenario takes place, I think we'll, we'll the the two of us will be having a very different conversation about Winnipeg next week. And keep in mind, we only have I believe two shows left until the postseason starts. Man, that comes up on you quick, doesn't it? Exactly. I mean, like that's part of the thing. I'm uh, part of the reason I'm like I'm a little bit concerned there for Winnipeg. It's just because they don't have that much time to kind of figure it out. They hit the skids. They just kind of need to keep running with a flat tire, you know. So it'll be yeah. uh, it'll be interesting to see how the how the season finishes. But we still do have a couple weeks of baseball left to play, and then who knows where we go from there. But uh, regardless, here. Uh, that just kind of leaves Fargo Moorhead, but we said our piece last week that they were essentially dead and they didn't really do much to change that this week. They're kind of not great, although I will say what was fun was uh, yesterday I tuned in for the last part of the Fargo Moorhead Sioux Falls game and the mic was still on for Jack Michaels when he was calling the in-between part of the uh, ninth inning, so the, the break in between there. After Fargo Moorhead surrendered eight runs to send it from a 4-4 game to a 12-4 game, you heard through the commercial they were playing, because again, they didn't kill his mic, him saying, it's like a train wreck. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I don't blame him for saying that, because it is like a train wreck. I sense, I sense the frustration, I do. I mean... I mean- it's a, t- it's a, it's a team that's, that's used to winning a lot of games. And when, when you roll into this year and you make, obviously without full con, full context of the situation, a questionable decision to, to fire your manager, like to a couple, like weeks before the season. And then obviously the season doesn't go as planned. I mean, I think a train wreck is a decent way to describe it. Although, Although Winnipeg, I, excuse me, not Winnipeg, Fargo Moorhead actually had a pretty decent week with their, uh, I, I mean, I'm not really a moral victories guy, but hey, I mean, it, they, they, they did sweep Chicago. They showed, uh, that at least showed some fight in them. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. I mean, you got to take what you can get here. And it's not like you can tank for a better draft pick in this league. So, I mean, right. any win's a good win. I mean, at, still, I mean, it's kind of pointless at this point, but I mean, you're not officially eliminated from contention yet. So until you're mathematically eliminated, keep fighting. And even still in this league, there's no point to stop. So, you know. yeah, of course. And at the end of the day, these guys are trying to get on MLB teams' radars and trying to get to uh, get trying to get into a spring training next year, or m- maybe even uh, get picked up and go to an alternate site like we've seen uh, like we've seen out of out of other leagues as well. So. There's always something to play for in indie ball. There's no real, there's no good reason to mail anything in in, mm. in indie ball. When at the end of the day, these guys are playing for an, another opportunity in affiliated ball. Absolutely. And then, uh, just from the St. Paul and the Sioux Falls perspective, I didn't even write anything down for them. I didn't figure we were going to spend too much time on them. But uh, by and large, I think they just kind of were doing average this week they didn't really jump up ahead of each other they've just been kind of in a dogfight for third place which at this point in this league third place doesn't really mean too much it's either first second or doesn't really matter so uh if i'm right they were both around 500 i think four and six or five and five and then the other one was like six and four or something along those lines yeah i mean st paul did i walk off home run this week that was cool that that was that that was that was definitely that was definitely very cool. I mean, a couple guys I do want to um, point out though for for St. Paul. I, I already touched on Mike Devine, who, who's truly been an ace for them this year. He's, he's been, been he's divine. Been really, yeah, he 
well, he has been divine. I mean, that another another guy this week who had who had a who had a fantastic week at the plate. Not my player of the week, which is why I can go a little more in depth than him. Uh, John Silviano from from St. Paul had, had a really t- terrific week. Hit uh, four seventeen with three home runs this week. Uh, 10, 10 for twenty four, scored eight runs. Uh, seven runs driven in. He had a real nice week. I mean, you look up and down. The, the St. Paul offense really did have really did have a nice week. So they, they do have to make their move. They have to make their move fairly soon if they want to try to try to jump Winnipeg or Milwaukee. Uh, but it, it, hey, if they have a good week, we could be talk we could be talking about them next week. That that they're right uh right into title contention. I think they. Their lineup, like like I've said before, it has a lot of depth. There's not there's not a lot of holes in the lineup, that that's for sure. So it it, it I still think um it, it's definitely a good team. I think they uh they probably need they probably need some better probably probably need some better starting pitching this week. But they'll be they'll be interesting to watch. But I tell you I tell you what I hate to bring it up again, but that that walk off home run was pretty electric. Oh yeah, I mean what it went until thirteen innings, fourteen innings, yeah, second? yeah, it was so. A great game. Yeah, so I mean, it was pretty good. Like when I was, I was just scrolling through my phone because at that point I was like, oh, that game's probably over already. So I wasn't going to bother going downstairs and getting everything set up to stream it. And I was just watching the end of whatever late night game was on for the NHL. And then I looked at my phone. I was like, wait, that game's still going on? I was, yeah. I was surprised. I thought it would have been over by then, but. Yeah. But uh, uh, regardless, I guess we'll just kind of go to the players of the week and then the series of the week. Uh, I just picked one out, which I'll just go right into the series of the week, which is the St. Paul Sioux Falls series that's coming up. Uh, I really do think this is one of those series that if it goes heavy in either way, it could really sink either team at this point. Right. I mean, again, we have about two weeks. I believe the season ends September 5th. So exactly just under two weeks here at this point. And you don't have the time to afford to have a sweep against a team that's right neck and neck with you. If Sioux Falls gets swept, I'm going to kind of start to lump them in with Chicago where you're not entirely dead, but you certainly are on the verge of it. And same thing goes for really St. Paul. And I want them to do better. I want them to make it competitive towards the end. But if you get swept here by Sioux Falls, then there's not really much I can point to here. I think yeah. it's going to come down a lot to those September games, which um, which is exactly what everyone was hoping for. But even still, this is a series that I think could really uh, be make or break for both teams. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's definitely uh, not almost like a like a like a playoff eliminator t- type of series potential. I think I think you're definitely right about that. Exactly. It just there's a lot of stakes involved in that game. And then uh, for my player and pitcher of the week, I picked John Silviano. Again, my numbers may be a little out of date here, but uh, he was slashing 448, 500, and then 931. Uh, again, you can't really ask for much better than that. Four home runs, 10 RBIs, 10 runs scored, 13 hits, two stolen bases, or one stolen base and two doubles. I mean, he had a great week. I can't really argue against him. And I just saw that number. He stood out. And so I went with him as far as, yeah. as far as pitcher of the week goes. This was tough because I was really tempted to pick Mike Devine. He made a very strong case. Same thing with Matt Tomshaw, surprisingly. He didn't have a bad week either, but I wound up deciding to go with uh, Tyler Pike from Fargo Moorhead. Uh, eight innings pitched, seven hits, one run. It was earned. He didn't walk anybody and he struck out 12. So I just I look across the board there and I go that's a that's a very impressive start from him on a team that let's be honest it, they've seen better days 
So yeah. I figure all things considered, I don't want to pick two saints and Tyler Pike was really the lone bright spot of the week yeah. for Fargo Moorhead. Yeah. So uh, for, for me, I, I think my, my player of the week from, from the Sioux Falls Canaries is Clint Coulter. He had a terrific week. He hit, he hit 450 uh, with an on-base of 478, and he slugged 1,000. Just a terrific Damn. week as well as three homers and eight RBIs, I believe, and only 20 at-bats. He's my player of the week. He hit an outstanding week. Uh, for Sioux Falls as they uh, as they try to try to climb the standings a little bit, and then pitcher of the week you you started to mention him. Uh, I've mentioned him plenty early in the show. I'm not going to completely go in uh, go in depth with him again, but it is Mike Devine of the Saint Paul Saints. Uh, 1.26 ERA in 14 and a third innings. That's over two starts. Obviously, his his best outing uh, was uh, last night against Chicago, where he had eight. He, he tossed eight shutout innings in their eight nothing win over the Dogs. So that that's my pitcher of the week. I believe I've picked him before. I just he, he's a stud. He he's he's the Saint, he's Saint Paul's ace. That that's that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. He's managed to make that that uh, kind of switch from the bullpen to the starting rotation, and it really hasn't been many hiccups, if any, uh, to this point for him. So it'll be interesting to see that, and it'll be interesting to see where we're at next week at this time, because so much can change so quickly. I wouldn't be surprised if a week from now we're talking about how Milwaukee's still a half game out of first place, but now they have St. Paul kind of nipping at their heels or having uh, yeah. Sioux Falls nipping at their heels. But Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see. And so with that, We'll shift to one of the few uh, actual news items here, and this is the kind of, I guess, controversy that's happening around uh, Schaumburg. I think we're both on the same page where this is kind of, it seems more manufactured controversy than anything, because I really don't see where people are getting up in arms over here, but uh, I suppose the the 411, as it were, of the situation is the Daily Herald, the local paper to Schaumburg, uh, reported that the Boomers want a one-year opt-out of their lease for the 2021 season, and that they are currently in the midst of negotiating a five-year extension with the city, so clearly they want to stay in Schaumburg, and that the team does expect a 90% uh, revenue drop-off from last year in this year, which, again, that really isn't surprising when you don't really play games and you only host a handful of events. The fact it's not more is kind of surprising in a sense. Of course, yeah. And then uh, part of this opt-out would mean, or the only way the opt-out would be used would be if the Frontier League season is canceled or due to government restrictions, they were unable to have a season. If they were to exercise the opt-out, the team would have to vacate the ballpark in 30 days. So 30 days from using the opt-out, they'd have to leave. And then they would yeah. return, presumably, in 2022. Also, the the team wants to reduce the rent to, I believe it was $9,500, down from the 75000 or 10% of the gross revenue. Whatever's the larger amount is what they would pay. But the thing is, the city recommended these measures. So that's where yeah. I'm kind of confused as to where the controversy is coming from. Uh, the city's the one who said, oh, well, why don't we, why don't you do this? This would probably be better sustainability wise. And now yeah. that's, that's a separate committee. I'll grant you that recommended those measures from the council that has to approve it. But even still, it, it seems like both town and team are on the same page about all of this. It seems to be yeah. mutually beneficial. So I don't really see where the problem is coming from. Yeah, I I know we, we we were talking about it a little bit before we started recording the episode. That 
when I saw the boomers statement, I was, I was kind of like kind of the same reaction as you, like what's really the controversy here. I mean, I think at the end of the day, pretty much every, every indie ball team that hasn't played this year, maybe it's not as public as this, as uh, this turned out to be for Schaumburg, but I think everybody else has got to have, is probably going to be negotiating similar things. I mean, at, at the end of the day, if an indie ball team doesn't play for two years, how are they going to stay in business at this point? And of course, I think we all we all hope. I know there's 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 hope for potentially a vaccine next winter, or maybe in the beginning of the spring of 2021, which would be which would be awesome, and then we could start to at least somewhat of a normal baseball season. Obviously, that'd be great. But obviously, the jobs of these teams are to plan for what if nothing changes? What if we can't have, uh, what if we can't have a season next year? And I think in that case, it's, it's smart because of course, if you don't have a season for two years, there's no way you can, you can keep your business running specifically with an independent league baseball team. And what, so why would they not give themselves, uh, why would they not try to negotiate an opt out if that were to happen? I, of course, one thing we've learned about this virus is it's so unpredictable and it changes by the minute. So why would you not, why would you not plan for, for the worst? Obviously this is certainly a worst case scenario. And I know the boomers certainly plan on playing next year. I, I just think it's just planning for the, it's just like a, a separate plan in case uh, a worst case scenario a ty- type of plan. And I, I hope it doesn't happen. I don't think it will happen. Uh, but it, it's really just them planning for the worst in case it were to, it were to happen. I really don't think it's, it's that big of a deal to be honest with you. Yeah. It's just being a responsible business owner. They're just saying, look, financially speaking, we took a 90% loss this year. We can't afford to take another 90% loss next year. We'll be under already as it is, you know, we're struggling here to, to stay afloat, to keep buying. We have to have a new lease agreement coming through. We need some help here, even if it's just in the short term. We don't necessarily need it 10 years from now, but for like the next two or three, we really do need it. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Like the the whole gist of the statement is essentially saying, look, we included it just in case we need to use it. We don't plan on needing to, though, and we hope we don't have to. I mean, that's the whole point of it. So, again, I really don't get why everybody is all up in arms over this. 100%. Yeah, I think it's, again, like you mentioned, it's being a responsible business owner and planning for the worst-case scenario. If you're not planning for the worst-case scenario during this pandemic, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. So I, I, I think we, I think we both, uh, agree that, I mean, we certainly hope they don't have to use it. And I, I don't think they will, but I think it's, it's just planning for the worst case scenario. Absolutely. Because my attempt at reading that statement was so butchered, I may just wind up including the uh, actual statement. I may just cut that bit. So if you want to read the statement, uh, it will be linked in our show notes on the website. So uh, be sure to go read it. But like I said, the, the gist of it is just we, this is a necessary precaution. It's literally just a precaution. And they're going to vote as far as the lease and all the changes that they want made in the agreement on August 25th. So 
we'll have an update for you the next time we're back uh, talking independent league baseball. But uh, with that said, we are going to talk about a couple of new teams here and then talk about some of the debuts, and then that should be just about enough for this week. But the new teams are a bit more exciting, so we'll get to those first. And the first of those new teams is one that was mentioned on the show a while back, and it was written in an article I wrote just about a year ago now as far as potential markets you could see in independent league baseball. And the one was Shakopee, Minnesota. And that idea is still well in life. <laughs> At last we left it, they were trying to find funding. And they're still kind of there, but they're trying a new revenue. Now, the proposed ballpark seats just over 7,100 people, so 7,100. And it would be home to the Metro Millers. It's a team that kind of has a similar history to the St. Saint Paul Saints, a team that existed for a while uh, back in the 40s and the 50s. And then they kind of went away, and now they'd come back through independent ball Presumably, they would join the American Association. That would just kind of make the most sense there, logically mm -hmm. speaking. And if the money is raised in a timely fashion, they could break ground in the stadium next year and then be ready to play ball in 2022. So hopefully that gets going there. But their original attempt at raising the money was on Minnesota Vest or MN Vest which is essentially a fundraising or crowdfunding platform ran by the state of Minnesota where you could invest in projects and own part of the project. It's essentially just a government-ran uh, crowdfunding site for larger projects. I suppose that lends more credibility to it and kind of is like, look, it's a big project, so you can go through us and we'll more ensure that even if the worst happens, everyone doesn't wind up getting shortchanged on it but that kind of fell through they weren't able to get enough so now they're looking for private funding uh 800,000 is what they need in private funding and then they need 35 million in bonds now these bonds could come from multiple groups that they're talking to some are in europe some are in asia some of them are in california there's a bunch all over that they're talking to but the long and short is it seems like the group that is running the metro millers is committed to making this stadium a reality and adding us another independent league baseball team yeah, I I I think this makes a I think this makes a lot of sense. I think I, I think it's a good location. I think it's again another t another team in Minnesota. We've seen how well the St. Paul Saints have done in, in Minnesota for so many years as an indie ball team. I think it makes a lot of sense to put it put, put another team in Minnesota. So it's a good location. Uh, obviously, if they can raise the money, that that would definitely. Uh, definitely be a great option to uh, put it put in. I think you're right. I think it's an, definitely an American Association market. There, it, it's it, it makes a lot of sense to me. And look, looking at the ballpark, uh, the ballpark diagram. I know obviously people listening can't see it, but it, it looks like it, it looks like a, ni a very nice ballpark seating uh, 7100, which is pretty big, pretty big ballpark for for indie ball. I know it's definitely similar to to the St. Paul the St. Paul Saints model, but I think it makes a lot of sense. And I'd be excited. I'd definitely be excited if they were able to to bring the uh, Metro Millers into the uh, American Association. And I believe uh, the kind of design plan is linked in the show notes as well, or at least it should be. If it's not, then I'll link the YouTube video where they go through all the various uses for the stadium because it's going to host, I believe they said lacrosse, football, soccer. They want to put hockey in there too during the winter as well as BMX, which that one I thought was a bit much, and that's going to tear up the field if you do BMX, but, yeah. you know, uh, their stadium, they can do what they want with it. And, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm hoping they get it there, 
it, like like you were saying, it's a larger stadium than we're used to seeing being built nowadays. It kind of goes against the conventional kind of standard of the time where you want more open space and less actual physical seats. But, you know, they're planning on hosting other events there, so I suppose that explains that. And then, on top of that, you will have an instant rivalry with St. Paul. You should have some good travel there. St. Paul doesn't have a problem selling out. I imagine if you bring in kind of a similar mentality, that kind of, look, we're just going to have fun playing baseball. It's going to be an affordable night out. You're going to enjoy what you see. It's going to be a good product on the field, but more importantly, it's just going to be an enjoyable three hours you spend at the ballpark. If they keep that in mind, I don't see any reason why it would fail. But there is a lot of money they need to get raised, both private funding and in, especially in the bonds. So hopefully yeah. they're able to get that going there. Yeah, it's not, it's not easy to do uh, to to run like a crowdfunding type type of thing, especially during a pandemic when so many people are struggling financially. So I just hope I just hope they're 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 going to be able to 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 raise the money. I think it makes a lot of sense. Exactly, I think it's more reasonable though to expect instead of 2022 say 2023 or even 2024 you'd see this get going plus that doesn't account for construction delays there's going to be some delays in minnesota there's just with weather and everything there's going to be delays but right but regardless the last bit of new team news is just a little bit more news on gastonia if you want to submit a name and i know uh will you were going to give your names this week that uh we kind of pushed off a week there uh, for this potential franchise. But if you want to submit your names, you being the listeners, you can do so until August 31st. So at the time of recording this, you have 10 days. If you're listening to this on the day it comes out, you have nine days to submit your name. And then in early September, Gastonia will announce the top five names. And I suppose they'll host a vote from there to name the team. And then hopefully by, say, October, November, we will know the name and hopefully the branding and everything of the gastonia franchise so with that i'm going to turn it over to you to allow you to give us your names for this new gastonia atlantic league franchise yeah so i i think whenever you're looking at naming a, a new minor league baseball team i think it's an i i really like the idea of making a name based on the historical historical significance of the city and i think after reading uh after reading up on uh a little bit of the history of the city of gastonia obviously me living in new jersey i'm not 100% familiar with the, with the history of Gastonia but I, I, as uh, as I was kind of looking for a name I, I saw there was an there's an article uh that I saw that and they, they brought up a name and I, I think it actually really does make a lot of sense uh, and that would be naming the team the Gastonia strikes now if you're um if you're wondering why that would make it that would make sense Apparently, in 1929, there was uh, there was a National Textile Workers Union strike in Gastonia, which apparently put which put the city on the map globally. It was really big news at the time. Uh, definitely, a lot of uh, worker definitely uh, workers' rights was becoming a big thing back in the back in the uh, Roaring Twenties and, and and the early 1930s before uh, before the Great Depression hit. And and I think that makes a lot of I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that would make a, uh, a certainly a historically significant name. I think you can make a pretty cool logo out of it. You could even call them the strikes and maybe even make a logo of like a lightning uh, a lightning strike sort of thing. I think that'd be that'd be kind of a cool design. And and I think uh, I think it would make a lot of sense. Of course, there's not one. There's not just one 
a good answer, but if you were to ask me what my preferred name would be, I, I think the Gastonia Strikes would be a, a pretty cool name to me. It definitely does fit with the with the general city. It has that baseball element too, so that's nice to it. Right. I, yeah. I wonder if stri- eh, Strikers really doesn't work as well. Strikes does. Strikes does work. It definitely has kind of that baseball or minor league baseball feel to it as well. I uh, I think it's going. I could see Strikes being a finalist. I could also see Millers being a finalist. I do yeah. wonder if they kind of go off the board, though. I kind of almost want to see them just kind of just say, yeah, screw it, we'll go way off the board here. Like and the y'alls? Y'alls would be nice. I mean, hey, <laughs> I say just steal their name outright. Just steal it. Or, no, wait, they should just do what the Frontier League has now and have two teams named after the same team. It, they it, have two Exactly. Mon- call them the Patriots. Call, call them the, the Ducks. <laughs> the Gastonia Ducks. Yeah, better yet, let's make let's make it really confusing and have for no reason just name the team the Gastonia Barnstormers. Exactly. Well, 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 and then and then people ask, well, why'd you name it the Barnstormers? Like, why not name it the Barnstormers? It just might drop the mic, leave it at that. Actually, the out of all the Atlantic League names that would make sense if they were to just copy it would probably be the Revolution because yeah. they're kind of going through their own revolution. They're big into textile manufacturing, so I guess you could yeah, I, I can mean, see it. I guess you could kind of call it industrial revolution, although that's like 50 years prior to and they got really big, but even still I guess you could kind of get that going a revolution on a machine. Which actually Ah, right. uh, no, pistons wouldn't work cuz they're not really manufacturing cars. They were manufacturing cars, I'd say pistons would make a lot of sense, but but yeah. not that. But yeah, no. So those are those are all some names that we'll throw out there, and in about eh, probably like two three weeks, we will know the finalists. So we'll go through all of them and we'll dissect them, and they say these names make no sense whatsoever. But I guess <laughs> I'll settle on this one, and then after like a month and a half, we'll all be like, yeah, actually, isn't a bad name. So, yeah. Yeah. So, pretty much. Yep. So with that, we'll go to the last thing here, which is just naming a couple of guys. They made their MLB debut. Uh, this past week, with the exception of John Nagowski, he made it the week prior, but uh, I figure I'd lump him in. He's close enough to all this. He debuted with the Cardinals last week, and I believe he actually played pretty well in this debut, too. I didn't write down what he did, but I remember yeah, him getting his four. hit. Yeah. Yep. I mean, so he got a hit, so that, that's definitely good. And then, obviously, there's Brett Ebner and uh, Brandon LeBryant that... Uh, that got purchased by the Marlins, one out of the Constellation League or the Sugarland League, if you prefer, and then the other one from what was it the Somerset Professional Baseball Series or something along yep. those lines? Yeah, a fancy name for the Somerset League. I know yeah. Ebner has pitched for the Marlins. I saw him uh, come out and pitch yeah. against the Mets, but I'm not sure has uh, LeBryant pitched yet for them. No, Bra- Brandon Lee Bryant hasn't pitched yet. Okay. I keep calling LeBryant for whatever reason. No, I'm, I'm, pre- I'm like, well, I mean... You're probably right, because I always mispronounce these names, but just for whatever reason, I'm calling them that, so... You I'm like 95% sure it's Brandon Lee Brandt. I'm going to go with that, because I assume I'm wrong on this, because I'm always wrong on pronunciations, or pronunciations, case in point right there, but, but yeah, now, I don't know as much about Ebner or uh, Lee Brandt, there we go, got it right that time. <laughs> and as you probably would know, I mean, Lee Brandt was supposed to be in High Point, and I believe it officially yes. reads that the Marlins bought it from bought him from High Point, as opposed to from the New Jersey Blaster. So I'm going to allow you to shed a little bit more light on those two guys in particular. 
Yeah, right. So uh, specifically starting with, with, with uh, Brett Ebner, he, he's an interesting story because he's made the MLB before, uh, with, specifically with, with the Dodgers as recently as 2017. However, the interesting part about him is he actually made the MLB as an outfielder. He, he actually didn't start pitching until he was uh, after he was released at, by the Dodgers after the 2017 season. <clears throat> he then switched over to pitching and uh, got his shot uh, with the, with the uh, Texas Airhogs of the American Association last year and was terrific there. Uh, and then ended up making his way to Sugarland midseason. Did really well there. And and once he was in uh, the Constellation Energy League, he didn't. I believe he didn't allow a run. Not even sh- actually, I stand corrected. He actually has not even allowed a hit. Did not even allow a hit in his uh, five or six innings of work um, in the Sugarland League, which has really does have a ton of talent in there. So it's, de- it's definitely impressive. He throws really hard. He strikes out a lot of guys. Uh, I believe his fastball. In his, I, I, I watched his outing against the Mets the other night. He, his fastball is around uh, 95 to 97. So, um, definitely has really good stuff. Uh, it's a great, it's a really cool story. The fact that he, um, kind of, uh, sputtered out as a, as an outfielder and, uh, went through, went the indie ball route to try and build his pitching career and is now back in the major leagues with the Marlins, a team that it really does need arms right now because of all their uh, problems with COVID nineteen. Uh, the other, the other, uh, so the other guy who made his debut, Brandon Liebrand, he was supposed to pitch with the High Point Rockers this year. His number, basically, he missed all of twenty nineteen with Tommy John surgery. But leading up to it in uh, twenty eighteen, he had a terrific year in the minor leagues in the Philly system in both Double A Reading and Triple A Lehigh Valley. He had really good numbers. Uh, but unfortunately, the Tommy John surgery put him out a year and a half, and the Phillies ended up parting ways with him. And so coming into the year, I was really high on him uh, as far as his Atlantic League performance, although I didn't really think he would be there that long. And I think it was it, it was really just a matter of him showing he was healthy, and then he would end up getting picked up out of the Atlantic League. Of course, with, with no Atlantic League season, that makes things a little bit more complicated. Uh, and I was wondering, well... It, with off the offensive talent in the Somerset Professional Baseball Series not really being that great, are, are scouts going to come to watch the pitchers? And uh, there definitely, and there definitely has been a lot of scouts uh, w- w- watching pitchers in in Somerset over the past couple weeks. And specifically with Lee Brandt, he completely dominated in the uh, in the Somerset Professional Baseball Series. He, I believe he posted a, a .75 ERA in his starts with the team. And uh, his last start where he threw five shutout innings uh, and struck out seven, I did notice a scout in the stands. So I was wondering if it was coming. Uh, and, it, and indeed it was a, a Marlin scout who picked him up the next day. And it, it's really cool. I'm sure I, it sounds like he impressed at the alternate site and the Marlins alternate site in Jupiter, Florida. Uh, he's proved he was healthy and is finally getting the shot at the MLB that he was definitely on track for before he uh, had his elbow surgery. So definitely wish nothing but the best to him. And uh, it's two awesome stories. And hopefully it both it works out for both of them with the Marlins. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, it, it says a lot to go from pitching in the Somerset jacket one week and then two weeks later you're on a major league roster it's crazy i know where else could you see that happen you know yeah 
I know it's crazy. Yeah. So, best of luck to all three of those guys. Hopefully, they they go on to great success. But it just is. I want to take that moment just to kind of highlight some of the real successes that you can have in independent league baseball. Because I, there's obviously a lot of people that go, "Oh, they're these guys aren't that good. Oh, they don't do anything. They're just kind of." You know, they're just hanging on to something and it, it shows that you can, there is something there. That these yeah. are talented ball players and that it's not just whatever it is. It's quality baseball. You yeah. Know, so. And it's not, it's not even, it's not even just us saying that. I mean, you could say, Oh, you guys are biased. You're on an indie ball podcast. But, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I mean, scouts are, if scouts thought it, indie ball was like, like for scrubs and people who were, who were washed up, then why would they bother scouting, scouting the leagues? I mean, you exactly. see so many guys picked up out, out of these leagues. So, I mean, don't take our word for it. Take, take MLB scouts. Who were uh, bringing guys? Who were bringing guys up to the big leagues uh, a few weeks after them pitching in indie ball? So I mean, I mean, take their word for it, not ours. But I think you're definitely right. It, sh- it shows the it shows the talent that that is in indie ball, and it, a lot of it has to do with health. A lot of it has to do with guys who are overlooked. Uh, it, it really just shows how, how how special indie ball is in that way. It really is. It just shows the proof is on paper. But the scouts mm-hmm. say is true, and clearly you guys are making a career out of it or they revive their careers from it there's something there so uh, yeah so with that i think that's just about all we have for the week obviously we have a a fun week coming up and over the next few weeks we'll have more information coming out we'll have more championship series coming up i believe somerset's league is wrapping up fairly soon if i'm right yep and yeah this then, week so the, the uh, they have a game tonight uh which is friday friday the 21st and then a game tomorrow and then they are done Okay, so they only have two more games left, so they're going to wrap up fairly soon. So I suppose next week we could recap that, and then we'll talk about some of the other more pop-up leagues over the next few weeks and kind of start to wrap those up, and then we'll kind of prep for whatever comes next. But with that said, we'll move to the plugs here and then get out of your hair for the week. You can find the show on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can find us on Instagram at IndieBallReport. And now you can find uh, my co-host here at ALPB underscore news on Instagram as well. Then you can find all the show notes, all the links, videos, podcasts, everything and anything that's related to the Indie Ball Report on our website, IndieBallReport.com. And then you can find the show wherever it is that you find your podcast, uh, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever it is, we're probably on it. So be sure to give us a subscribe and a review. It helps the show grow. Uh, with that said, do we have anything else left to add? Nope, not, not, nothing else left to add. Uh, let's go Celtics in their, uh, in their NBA playoff game tonight against the 76ers. That's all I have to add. Look, I'm just over the moon. My Rangers won the first overall pick, so that's <laughs> where I'm at. Don't remind me. Oh, I'll remind you every time I get the chance. Yeah, I know, I know. And so with that said, nothing else left to add. Like we say every time, don't forget to play ball. <laughs>